0: The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes communities thrive when individuals succeed. Working together, we can help create economic opportunity for all. Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, May 14th. In today's news, President Trump jolts the markets by ordering higher tariffs on all Chinese imports. Bill Barr appoints a U.S. attorney to investigate the investigators, and the Supreme Court overturns a precedent. But first, the big idea. At a meeting of Trump's top national security aides last Thursday, Acting Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan presented an updated military plan That envisions sending as many as 120,000 U.S. troops to the Middle East should Iran attack American forces or accelerate work on its nuclear weapons program. That's according to a report overnight in the New York Times. The revised plan was ordered up by National Security Advisor John Bolton. It apparently does not call for a land invasion of Iran, which would require vastly more troops, but it really is stunning. For context, 120,000 troops would approach the size of the entire American force that invaded Iraq in 2003. Deploying such a robust air, land, and naval force would also give Tehran more targets to strike and potentially more reasons to do so, increasing the risk that the United States could become entangled in a drawn-out quagmire. In terms of the ground truth, it's still not really clear what has actually changed. Bolton sought similar guidance from the Pentagon last year, but Jim Mattis, who was then Defense Secretary, pushed back hard. Mattis, a retired Marine general who was there for the invasion of Iraq, would only offer some general options, including a cross-border airstrike on an Iranian military facility that would have been mostly symbolic. Mattis didn't even want to present a plan for projecting this kind of troop strength, lest the White House pursue it. But Mattis has been gone for six months now, and Shanahan is weak because he's an acting secretary who hasn't been confirmed yet by the Senate, so he doesn't have the juice to push back against Bolton or the other hawks in the West Wing, or, frankly, to do anything that could offend senators whose votes he needs. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo crashed a meeting of European foreign ministers in Brussels yesterday. He was there to push for a united transatlantic front against Tehran, but it didn't go well. Pompeo's last-minute decision to visit the European Union capital, announced as he boarded a plane from the United States, set up a confrontation between the top U.S. diplomat and his European counterparts, who have been scrambling to save the 2015 Iran nuclear deal in the wake of the U.S. withdrawal exactly a year ago. British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt even said publicly that he fears the unintentional escalation from the United States and Iran could spark a conflict. That's an unusually bold statement from the British that appeared to assign equal culpability to washington and tehran for the recent escalation meanwhile neither saudi arabia nor the united arab emirates could produce photographs to support their public claims yesterday that saudi tankers incurred significant damage because of sabotage the incidents did not appear to cause any casualties or oil spills but there's widespread concern including in the u.s intelligence community That the Saudis are trying to pull the U.S. deeper into their conflict with Iran so that American treasure would be spent and American blood would be spilled for their fight. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one. The Trump administration is moving to slap tariffs on roughly $300 billion more of Chinese imports beyond what they've already done, a jolt to the global economy that will raise prices for consumers on everyday products like phones, TVs, and even sunglasses. Experts agree there will be price hikes at stores like Target, Costco, Home Depot, and Walmart. The importers are going to pass on some or all of the tariff costs to the consumer, and that will become much more readily apparent and harder to mask with hopes fading for an early resolution of this now year-long U.S.-China trade dispute which was started by Trump. The president said he will meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping at the G20 leader summit in Osaka, Japan on June 28th and 29th. But administration officials say that U.S. negotiators are nowhere near a deal. The Dow, meanwhile, tanked 617 points yesterday, or 2.5%. The blue chip index slumped to its lowest close since January as investors reassessed the trade issue. They realize they have not been factoring enough risk into their assessments. Number two, Attorney General Bill Barr has tapped U.S. Attorney John Durham from Connecticut to investigate the origins of special counsel Bob Mueller's probe, capitulating to Trump's demand that he, quote, investigate the investigators. Meanwhile, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham, the Republican from South Carolina, publicly encouraged Donald Trump Jr., to avoid questions from the Senate Intelligence Committee by pleading the fifth. He told reporters yesterday that Don Jr.'s lawyer would be, quote, an idiot if he let his client testify under oath. Graham's comments are a remarkable display of one Republican Senate chairman undercutting the work of another by dispensing free legal advice to a witness in an ongoing investigation. It also reflects the greater GOP divide about whether the Senate should hold Don Jr. in contempt If he continues to flout the Intelligence Committee's subpoena. And we're hearing that Richard Burr, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, told his Republican colleagues during a lunch that the reason he subpoenaed Don Jr. in the first place is because he had agreed to two voluntary appearances and then flaked at the last minute. A court filing last night in federal court reveals that the whole Russia case is far from closed. Former Trump deputy campaign manager Rick Gates is still cooperating with the feds in the ongoing prosecution of Trump confidant Roger Stone, as well as former Obama White House counsel Greg Craig. The disclosure came in a joint filing to delay Gates' sentencing made once again by the office of the D.C. U.S. attorney. In the past, it had just said that Gates was cooperating in several ongoing investigations. Last night was the first time it named Stone and Craig. And up in Baltimore, former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein criticized Jim Comey as a partisan pundit during his first paid speech since leaving office last week. He defended that infamous memo he wrote to justify Trump's termination of the then-FBI director. Rosenstein also minimized the effect Comey's firing would have had on the inquiry. He said that when a White House lawyer first told him Trump had decided to fire Comey, nobody said the removal was intended to influence the course of the Russia investigation. Number three, the Supreme Court's conservative majority voted yesterday to overturn a 40-year-old precedent. The issue in Monday's five to four ruling was of limited impact, whether states have sovereign immunity from private lawsuits in the courts of other states. In nineteen seventy nine, the Supreme Court ruled there is no constitutional right to such immunity, although states are free to extend it to one another and often do. But the courts Conservative majority overruled that decision, saying there was an implied right in the Constitution that means states could not be hauled involuntarily before each other's courts, in the words of Clarence Thomas, who wrote Monday's opinion. Liberals are terrified about what other court precedents the newly fortified conservative majority will find were wrongly decided. Justice Stephen Breyer had other issues in mind, namely abortion rights as well as affirmative action. He wrote that it is, quote, dangerous to overrule a decision only because five members of a later court come to agree with earlier dissenters on a difficult legal question. He added that the decision can only cause one to wonder which cases the court will overrule next. Reproductive rights advocates worry Roe might be next on the chopping block. The Alabama State Senate is scheduled to vote later today on an abortion bill that would effectively outlaw the procedure in the state that could set up a test before the High Court of the 1970s-era precedent. Despite the Alabama State Senate's conservative majority, the vote's expected to be close. Some Republican lawmakers are expressing hesitation about voting for a bill that doesn't make any exceptions, including for rape and incest. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, May 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.